everyone. I'm Serena. And I'm Tina. And we are the Mental Health Mamas. Welcome to No Need to Explain. We are so glad you're here. First, as always, a quick disclaimer. We come to you not as mental health professionals or experts in the field, but rather as the parents of kids who struggle with their emotional health. If you or someone you love is experiencing a mental health crisis, please seek professional support. You'll find a variety of resources in our show notes and on our website, no need to explain podcast.com. It is officially fall. And if you're anything like me, you may be struggling to get back to routines that maybe aren't what we had hoped them to be. Right. And I think that we had all hoped to put this pandemic behind us and return to normal. And yet we are still having to adjust in new and different ways. It is incredibly frustrating to feel like we have so little within our control for ourselves and for our kids. Yes. And that's why we're going to do our best to continue to focus on the things that are within our control and to work to bring you some guests to help us out with this. One of the concerns we've heard over and over again from parents and educators is about the disruption that our kids have faced in their schooling. And while all students have faced a disruption of some sort, like most things, there was a great deal of inequity in what this disruption looked like. Mm-hmm. I think it will be a long time before we understand the implications of all this. And as the parents of kids who struggle, we know firsthand how challenging school can be in a normal year, let alone in the midst of what seems like a never-ending pandemic. We are excited to introduce our guest to you today who specializes in meeting the needs of diverse learners. Laura Reber is an experienced school psychologist who has supported students with diverse learning needs for more than a decade. The experience of seeing how well students respond to individual instruction that is 100% designed with their needs in mind is what inspired her to create Progress Parade, which is an online tutoring service with specialized instruction. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. So Laura, let's start by defining the term diverse learner. What does this mean to you? Most diverse learners who come to us have been diagnosed with ADHD, learning disabilities, or other disabilities, but I personally believe that everyone is a diverse learner. We all have diverse learning needs that make some things come more easily, more easily to us than other things come to us. Our schools and society have kind of decided that certain skills are important, and so people who struggle with those skills sometimes get a diagnosis. But diagnosis or not, we all have struggles and strengths. I love that, the, the idea that we all have struggles and strengths. And you mentioned the, um, the skills that our schools and societies think are important. So before we move on, could you, could you mention a couple of those skills? Like, what, what are you referring to? Yeah, well, I mean, the obvious ones are like reading, writing, and math. You know, those are, those are skills that the schools have decided are important and that our society has decided are important. But also things like... Being able to sit down in your seat, you know, and um, be kind of focusing for long periods of time or keep your body still, you know, sometimes students um, disrupt their, are are disruptive to their classroom, even though they're not necessarily doing anything that's a problem, but if they're wiggling around a lot and kind of getting into other people's (laughs) things Mm -hmm. and stuff, then, you know, then sometimes those kids that end up with ADHD diagnoses Mm -hmm. and, you know, that's because they struggle to kind of control the, control their behavior and, 
um, to kind of sit still. So, right. Yeah. And as an adult, I, you know, for me, I can't sit still all day. So I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, neither. So as you know, we are all about breaking down stigma and normalizing the conversation around raising kids who don't fit neatly into a box. And as a result are likely what you refer to as a diverse learner. So what are some of the ways that your organization works to break down that stigma and how do you support families in this challenging topic. Yeah, I love the mission of breaking down stigma. I think stigma is something I'm always happy to break down. I think it really just prevents people from getting the help that they need and also makes them feel badly about themselves when they really don't need to feel badly about themselves. Um, We all need help sometimes and needing help just means that that's all it means. It doesn't mean that that we failed. It doesn't mean anything else besides that we need help. Um, And one example I like to bring up uh, about our diverse learners, about the students we work with, is that when parents reach out to hire an executive functioning coach, a quick summary for those who don't know what an executive functioning coach is, it's um, somebody who helps students learn how to organize themselves, plan long-term projects, prioritize and manage their time and study effectively and more. So sometimes I remind parents that even executives at big companies often hire coaches to help them work smarter, not harder. And that's really what executive functioning coaches do for students. I sometimes think, you know, the word tutor can have a stigma. Uh, So maybe something like calling it coaching helps because everyone needs a coach at time, whether it's athletes or executives or, you know, anyone else. So Mm -hmm. I love that idea of using coach language. It's so normal, right? We personally know or have at least come to know that our kids need support and we know how to seek that support practice makes not perfect. I'm not going to say perfect, <laughs> but mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. It seems with the pandemic that we are hearing more and more from families who might not have traditionally thought that they needed to seek support and now they do. So let's normalize this. Can you talk us through how you might coach a parent to seek support through the school, for example? Of course. Yeah, there are lots of different systems in place at the school that are there to support our kids. And actually, there's a big movement nationwide here in the U.S. at least um, called multi-tiered support. And the idea of multi-tiered support systems is that everyone is in the support system, that um, there are it's called multi-tiered because there's kind of different tiers. So some kids may need more support than others, but everybody's in the same system. And so what that means is if a student has a challenge, whether academic or behavioral, they should be able to get some support at school before the problem gets to the point where they might need something like special education. Um, So sometimes that support may look like meeting with a small group of students for academics or a ward plan in place, like if we need or changing the environment for behavior. But the goal of these multi-tiered systems is that Students get help when they need it, and to re- and it's to recognize that it's totally normal that just a certain percentage of students need help. So we just need to be prepared and have that structure in place to give those students help when they need it. Um, so if a parent's seen a challenge at school, the first thing I'd suggest is asking the teacher if the school has any resources that the student can get um, access to help as soon as possible. And this is kind of how we talked about with stigma. I think stigma really prevents parents from asking for help early. They think it means there's something wrong. But again, it's there's just a certain percent of kids that are that are going to need help. That's what's expected. That's what's normal, you know. So get that help. It's not doesn't mean anything's wrong. It doesn't mean anything besides that your kid needs a little bit of help. And earlier intervention is the most effective way to prevent future challenges. Um, and if your student gets some help at school, 
and is still struggling, then that's when it might be time to consider more formal help, like in the form of an um, individualized, individualized education plan or IEP. Yeah, so uh, I hear you talking about this multi-tiered system of intervention in which all students are included somewhere in the tiers. And it sounds like what our schools here refer to as RTI or response to intervention. Is that accurate? Yep, that's 100% accurate. Response to intervention is one of the examples of a multi-tiered support system where all children are included in the support at some level. So what are some of the other terms you might use for these multi-tiered support systems? I would say the biggest ones are probably RTI or response to intervention and MTSS or multi-tiered support system. Those are the two major ones or positive behavior intervention support system, PBIS, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. is on the behavioral side. So the the theory and the um, kind of framework behind all of them is the same that you know, if many students in our school are struggling with a specific behavior or academic, then we need to look at our, the whole school's instructional model. But if only certain students are struggling, then we need to work with those students in early as soon as possible. So the idea is really that, yes, everyone's included um, in the support framework at some level um, and that we want to get kids support as soon as possible rather than waiting until they need special education. Essentially, we want to get them help as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for that clarification. So, so in addition to the formal support you mentioned, so you know, we're throwing lots of acronyms out sure. there, the MTSS, the RTI, the IEP, uh, what more can parents do? Yeah, so if the multi-tiered support system isn't enough, or if it's something that your student doesn't, the school determines they don't need, um, and kind of how we talked about this, usually you'll know if your kid's in the multi-tiered support system because you'll hear the word academic or behavioral intervention mm-hmm. being used, which sometimes is like parents are like, what's an academic intervention? <laughs> that sounds like so formal. Really, it just means like tutoring. Mm-hmm. You know, academic intervention is essentially specialized instruction, usually in a small group or one-on-one. Um, but yeah, if your student isn't getting that or doesn't qualify for an individualized education plan or an IEP, there are still lots of things you can do. Um, you can ask if there are any outside services at the school or in the community that your student may be able to take advantage of. Some schools have partnered with tutoring programs that's, that students can participate in after school. Sometimes that's in partnership with community organizations, or sometimes the school has some funds where their own teachers will do some tutoring. So that could be something that your student might be able to take advantage of. Parents are always also always free to pursue outside services. If your student's struggling with behavioral challenges and counseling might be relevant or helpful. And, you know, often insurance does cover counseling. And then there's, of course, companies like Progress Parade where we can support academics. So definitely still seek help inside the school and also outside the school too. Awesome. Thanks for that. We also know that getting help through school often comes the label and that brings up lots of feels for people. Tell us a bit about your experience with parents' feelings around labels and your perspective on the value of labels. This is a really interesting question because I've really seen parents go both ways with this one. I've seen parents whose kids desperately need services and um, really resist the label, which also then means they can't get the support if we don't have the label, at least in the school setting. Um, And then I've seen parents whose kids are doing mostly fine in school, but the parents are desperately seeking that label um, for their students. So it's interesting and understandable to have these different reactions. What I've seen as a general trend, which I think is really encouraging, 
is that it seems like labels are less stigmatizing and that students who have IEPs are more and more incorporated into the general education classrooms instead of isolated into special classrooms the whole day. Um, so that's, that's encouraging to see. And I think, um, you know, there is a general trend of just more inclusion, more acceptance um, out there, you know, in the schools, which is great to see. Uh, that said, I'm still personally ready for a revolution where we kind of move beyond labels. Uh, I don't know if either of you are familiar with Iowa's model of special education, but I really like what they're doing uh, for students to get services at school in Iowa. It just needs to be determined that they're an eligible individual. Uh, they don't need a specific label to, to get services. And I like this because it makes us focus on what the individual student actually needs rather than getting hung up on a particular label. Um, I've really seen that sometimes think that the label is kind of the solution, you know, that it's like, well, if I can just get a label, then that is like the, the problem solved. Um, but growth is really more dependent on the sports and services that a student get, gets rather than the label that they have. Um, so I really like to focus on what they need and how to get that to them. Um, and so I like that about Iowa. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think I just to kind of add something onto that many communities do find value in their label. Like, I think that, you know, I've seen people with autism or a lot of them prefer to be called autistic individuals. They, I've seen a lot of really great communities, a strong community, same thing with ADHD, you know, and I think to the extent that labels help people understand themselves and seek community, I think that's helpful. If they cause you to believe you're limited or broken, then that's not at all helpful, you know? So I, I like labels to the extent that they help people, but that's it. I love that eligible individual. Uh, I, I love that language because it doesn't uh, stigmatize for sure. And I totally hear you about that. I think that labels um, can make you feel a little broken sometimes. And I, I can appreciate that as well. Um, you know, labeling for us, although it was a super hard process, it did for the most part, get us what we needed. Um you know, and we hope through this podcast to help parents feel like they can do something to, you know, be proactive and help their kids through some rough patches. So what tips do you have for parents who are struggling to help their kids at home? My biggest tip is that you are definitely not alone. Um, this has been a tough, tough year because kids have been at home more than ever. And we are definitely designed for community and not isolation. Mm. Um, so I'd encourage parents to seek out support, like finding this podcast. And, you know, this is a source of community for people. Find people that get you and feed you. Find groups um, of other parents that relate to, um, to you and your community. And you can find that locally through your community or also through things like Facebook. I've seen some really great active Facebook communities of parents with different, um, you know, populations and really giving each other a lot of great support. Um, I think, you know, just don't hesitate to support yourself and make sure that your needs are taken care of too. That's just as important as, as worrying about your kid. So. Yeah, I love that. I'll be saying, don't hesitate to support yourself. That's awesome. Um, and, you know, one of, one of our big mm -hmm. things, right? Um, you know, Self-care, connection, hit them all. They're both so important. And you um, are not alone. Absolutely. You are not yeah. alone. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So we know that you are a big proponent of adopting a growth mindset, not just for kids, but for adults as well. So can you explain what it means to have a growth mindset and why is it important for all of us? 
Definitely. We are huge fans of growth mindset here at Progress Parade. Having a growth mindset is essentially a way of viewing challenges and setbacks. People with a growth mindset know that they can improve their skills and can see their challenges as a way to grow. A fixed mindset means more that you're stuck where you're at and you won't get any better no matter what work we put in. So when we have a fixed mindset, a challenge prevents a ma- presents a massive problem because the problem has no real resolution if you're kind of stuck where you are or fixed. Um, we all have growth and fixed mindsets at times. So just because you have a fixed mindset for a certain thing, don't be hard on yourself. It's something that we all kind of move in and out of with various challenges and um, at various points in our life. But the truth is, is that we all do grow and we do change. And the more we can take on a growth mindset, the more we will be ready to grow and encourage our students to grow and be ready to really tackle those obstacles when they come up and know that, um, that they're, they're making us stronger. So that is amazingly hopeful. Mm-hmm. And we are all about hope. So thanks for that. Yes, of course. Can you share with our listeners some of the services that you provide through Progress Parade? We offer one-on-one academic services tailored to each individual learners. The learners we most often work with have been diagnosed with ADHD and or learning disability. For students with ADHD, we often provide executive functioning coaching or homework coaching. Common challenges of students with ADHD outside of the kind of executive functioning, like the organization and time management, task completion stuff, are struggling with the writing process, keeping track of the math process without getting the whole problem wrong for making a small mistake. Uh, For students with learning disabilities, we often use multisensory methods to teach to their learning challenges, some well-known multisensory methods for reading are Orton, Gillingham, and Wilson, and for math are touch math. And this is all virtual, right? Available to anybody? Yes. One-on-one online, anywhere you've got an internet connection. Okay. And is it true that anyone can seek support for their student from Progress Parade? So like, do they need to have a label or a diagnosis? It's true that anyone is welcome to seek support through Progress Parade. Similar to, we're like Team Iowa. We're like, you just have to be (laughs) an eligible individual. And eligible just means that you have an area that you want to grow in. No, you don't need a diagnosis or anything like that. And what is the best way for people to learn more and connect with you? They can visit us at progressparade.com and book a free consultation on our homepage. Those consultations are directly booked with me. So we could have a conversation about your student and I could answer your questions and, you know, learn more about your students' needs. They can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram. We will definitely provide links in our show notes and on our website so people can connect with you. That sounds like an awesome opportunity to get a... um, a free consultation. I, I would uh, totally take advantage of that. Um, one more question for you today. If we were to imagine a future in which all of our kids were able to learn in a way that maximizes their unique strengths and abilities, what would that look like? And what do you think we might need to do to move closer to that preferred future? Yeah, if that were reality, I really believe we'd have all of our major societal problems solved. But more tangibly, I think the world would just be a lot kinder of a place mm-hmm. When everyone is encouraged to utilize their unique strengths and ability, they get in a zone and make a huge difference with whatever they're working on. I think they really, that's when we see our best work out of ourselves and out of each other is when people are really like, I'm doing what I'm good at, what I love doing, and I know I'm good at it. Um, And then when that's the reality, they feel good about themselves and are are a lot less likely to kind of lash out on people. Um, You know, I think a lot of the kind of grumpiness that we see 
and unkindness that we see is a lot of, a lot of, because people are, are miserable or feeling badly about themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to take that out on other people. So I think when you're feeling good about yourself and when you're in a good spot, it's a lot easier to be helpful and kind to people. Um, and I think one huge thing we can do to get there is, is a big part of what we talked about today is removing stigma and encouraging people to be who we, who they are. The only way to get anywhere is to start where we are. And the only way we'll be comfortable starting where we are is if we know where we are is totally fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Love it. So Laura, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing some of your wisdom. Uh, We love the work you're doing to support all the diverse learners out there. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. So podcast friends, we are as always grateful for all of you listening and supporting us. You can help us out by visiting Apple podcasts, leaving us a review, subscribing, and please share with others. You will find more content on our website. No need to explain podcast.com. You will also find an email address. We would love to hear from you by email. So send us an email. And this is your gentle reminder to take good care of yourself while you are also taking care of your people. Thanks again for listening. Bye.